wicked not to give bountifully. Now, we are, I think I said this to you last week. We know that's inelegant. We know this is not proper talk in polite circles. But just to make the point, he says it's stupid. Based on what God says in his word, I agree that it is stupid. So the title of my message is, can you guess? Being less stupid. So this is a, a sermon for you and a sermon for me. Being less stupid. Um, let me ask you this. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe that his word is good? Do you believe you can live by his words? You heard the text read. I'm going to read the, the, the six verses that precede, five or six verses that preceded that text here in just a moment. But here's what Jesus says in Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, you know, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good? You know, the, the good measure pressed down, shaking together, running over. Doesn't that sound like something you want to get in on? Particularly since this is God incarnate speaking. I mean, he's good for his word. He can do this. He can do this. God says the same thing over 2 Corinthians 9, 6 that I referenced a moment, a moment ago. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. So the ball's in your court. Do you want to reap sparingly or bountifully? It's up to you. It's, it's up to you according to the word of God. It's up to you. Which one sounds better to you? These are amazing promises. This is why I have to preach once a year. On giving. And listen, here's the deal. <laughs> if you don't want to give in this church, don't give. You know, I, I'll, I'll never ask you for money. That's not who we are and what we do. So as I've said to you many times, the Lord is inviting us past law giving. Now, there's a whole lot of people in the Christian world that think that you're supposed to tithe. They were taught tithing, and so they still tithe. They think tithing's the thing. What I want to say to you very briefly, if you have questions on this, you can ask me. I don't have a problem with tithing. Tithing is good. What I'm saying is the New Testament has called us past this. Okay? We're way past law giving. All right? Jesus calls us to give as big as we dare. That's what we're called to do. Now, if you were raised as a tither and you want to keep tithing, just that's fine. That's, do the tithing. But the problem I have with tithing is I think your average Christian thinks he's finished with the tithe. What I want to say to you is from the New Testament perspective, that is not true. Jesus is saying, well, you heard the text read, you know, or did I read that text about being a hilarious giver? I don't think I gave that. Give, I didn't read that to you, did I? Don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you hate tithing, you should stop because God doesn't receive your offering in such a way that pleases him. If you tithe but you hate it, you should stop. Listen, God doesn't want any offering that comes grudgingly or under compulsion. He says be a hilarious giver. 
This is what God is calling his children to, right? He's a hilarious giver. He's called us to be the same. What do you have that he did not give you? Tell me. Can you think of one thing? Can you think of one thing you have he did not give to you? What is the answer? Nothing. All that you have is from God, from the, the good and gracious and benevolent hand of God. He's a giver. He's just calling you to follow his example. So Jesus says, we, I think I said it last week, Luke chapter 12, sell your possessions and give. What's he talking about? He's not, it's, not a call to, it's not a call to poverty. Uh, it's not that possessions are wrong. It's a call to simplicity. He say, he's saying, live as lean as you can so you can be open-handed with the church and with needs outside the church, right? Live as lean as you can so you can be bullish on the kingdom. That's what I want you to hear. That might be the title. Bullish on the kingdom. Are you genuinely bullish on the kingdom? Do you know what this term means? Uh, some of you who don't, don't invest... It means I'm all in, right? I got all my money down on this, on this company, right? I'm bullish on this company. God has called us to be bullish on the kingdom. I love what uh, Alcorn says in his book. He says, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of, can you guess? Giving, right? I think that's quite clever. He uses an example in the book about the FedEx guy. So you guys have heard the FedEx example, right? Um, you're supposed to be God's FedEx guy. So what happens when you want to deliver something somewhere? We call the FedEx guy. He comes and he, he picks up the package and he, he's supposedly going to deliver it. But what if he takes it home and he opens it up and he keeps it all for himself and uses it? He uses it for himself. He doesn't, he doesn't even deliver part of it to the intended destination, right? So this obviously is a huge problem. This guy obviously doesn't understand what his job is. And I want to say that many in the Christian community don't understand what their job is before God. You're a middleman. God flushes prosperity through you that you might support the body of Christ and meet other needs. You're the FedEx guy. <laughs> You're supposed to operate on that principle. Of course, you, you name your own salary. What am I going to keep out of what all God gives me? But listen, man, my hands are open and I'm, I'm living in a simple way so I can give. I'm going to be bullish on the kingdom. Why? Because God says he will bless me, not only in this life, but in the next. Listen, you should invest for the next life, okay? None of this prosperity stupidity, right? We're not investing to get rich now. We want to be rich in the things of God, right? In the next life. We want to be rich toward God, as Luke chapter 12 says. So, I want to take a few minutes tonight, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin, begin in verse 19. We didn't read verse 19. I'll read these verses for you. Yes, it's the most uh, important sermon ever preached. And guess what? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching about money. Why does the Bible have so much to say about money? You know why. Because it's not about money. It's about God. Right? Your money is about God. God knows how money gets into our hearts and into our minds. 
right? And he's saying, man, you got to let go. You got to love me more. If you love your money, it's not good. You're going to hear it in the text. You can't love your money and love God. Jesus is going to say, you cannot do both of these things. You can't do both of these things. You have to decide which one you love. Jesus is going to say it here in just a few minutes. So the thing I love about this Matthew text is God's, God's going to lay it out for us. He's going to lay it out for us. In short, your money, if you have a problem with money, it's because it is either a treasure or it is what you trust. You treasure the money more than you treasure God or you trust the money more than you trust God. This is the point that's coming up in the text. If you have a problem being open-handed with God, it's because you treasure it more than Him or you trust it more than Him. Okay, that's what we're going to see in the text tonight. So I'm going to pick up here uh, in Matthew 6, verse 19. I'm going to read three verses. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither the moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal or where the flood doesn't damage your books. Okay? This is what happened to me in the last couple of weeks. Karen, we've lost some stuff because of this. I mean, you know, you don't get to keep any of it. You know, you don't get to keep any of this stuff. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, oh, someone tell me, what? Where your treasure is, what? That's right. That's where your heart is. You can say it's different. You can pretend it's different. It's not different. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. God's not fooled. Nobody's fooled. You're not even fooled. Right? You know, your, you, you know what you treasure in your heart. You know. You know. So, why don't you give more? Is it a treasure issue? Which is what Jesus is talking about right now. You remember the rich young ruler over in Mark chapter 10. He ran up to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus looked into his idolatrous heart and he said, um, sell all that you have, come and follow me. Now, why did he say that to him? Obviously, Jesus could see his heart. He had an idol in there. What's his idol? He treasures the money. He treasures his wealth. You got to get rid of the idol, man. This is what Jesus is saying. The context of that Mark passage is salvation. It's not giving, but we can use it to help illuminate what we need to learn about giving. He's got an idol in his heart. Jesus says, man, you got to deal with that or you can never come with me. Right? If you, if you treasure something more than me, you can't go with me. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. You cannot go with me. You remember what the text said? He went away grieved, for he owned much property. How sad is that? How sad is that? Again, the context here is salvation, but this principle holds true forgiving. If we have a heart problem, if we have a treasure in our heart that is not named Jesus Christ, 
we've got a huge problem before God. We've talked about Matthew 13, 44 many times. You know the guy found the treasure in the field. He sold all that he had that he might possess the treasure. Yes, this is about salvation. This is about finding Jesus and realizing that Jesus is more valuable than anything else. That's what that text is about. But we can use the principle here with respect to money and giving. Let me just read it to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And from joy he goes and sells all that he has that he might buy the field. So this man has found true treasure and he gives everything he has that he might have the true treasure which is in the context of the text the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you found the most valuable thing in the cosmos, you would be stupid not to get rid of everything else that you might have it, right? It's, it's, it's Alcorn's point. <laughs> it's, it's stupid not to go after that which is most valuable. I think you have to agree with me here. This man in Matthew 13:44, he didn't hesitate, man. <laughs> It's a no-brainer for him. He gets it. Christ is more valuable than everything else I own, right? <laughs> Christ is more valuable. That's what he is saying. Jesus is telling us that to lay up heavenly treasure here in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, not because earthly treasure is bad. He's saying don't do it. Not because it's bad. Why is he saying don't do it? Because you don't get to keep it. Wealth is not bad. It's that you don't get to keep any of it. You will lose some of it here, likely. And of course at death you lose all of it. So why are you investing in the world? I'm just... You need to ask yourself this question. Why am I investing in the world? I don't get to keep any of it. You're playing, you know, you're actually playing, you're like, you're like those folks that go to the, the, the casino, right? I mean, they're just feeding the house. They're just making somebody else rich, right? <laughs> right? You know, almost nobody walks out with more than they came in. It's a scam, and if you don't understand the world is scamming you, um, then we might need to spend a little more time in the Bible. The treasure issue here, not just because earthly wealth might be lost, but because it will be lost. God doesn't want, to, want you to waste your life pursuing that which you cannot keep. I love Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary, listen to this, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. So maybe that's something I can say to you right here. Just cease, as the Bible says, from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and it flies away. Now, I'm the worst investor in the world, okay? I always buy high and sell low. This is not good. Okay, this is not good. I still remember the late 90s. Some of you are too young to remember the late 90s. The late 90s, the dot-com bubble. Some of you have studied the dot-com bubble. I was all in on the dot-com bubble. 
Okay? I had a friend that, you know, he was a savvy investor. He said, Jim, this is a can't miss. Sun Micro, man, you can't miss on Sun Micro. You need to go all in on Sun Micro. You need to be bullish on Sun Micro. I got all in on Sun Micro. The dot-com bubble burst, 93% loss. Bam. I wrote it all the way down, right? I was unwilling. <laughs> I was unwilling to cut my loss. Any, I wrote it all the way down, right? This is how I am. And I realized, I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong to invest, but I think the kingdom of God is a better investment. This is one lesson I learned with the dot-com bubble. I'm just telling you, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. But when you set your eyes on it, it's gone. I could, I, man, you know, when I got into Sun Micro, man, it was like, boom, it was up like 50%. And I thought, man, I am so savvy. I am such a good investor. I couldn't wait to get home, you know, to, to check what the market did that day. Well, after it crashed, <laughs> you know, I felt like the biggest fool in the world. So, anyway, just a personal cautionary tale. Earthly investments, earthly treasure will be lost. 100% of it will be lost when you die. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Verse 20 here of our text, Matthew 6. And I love the way he expands on it over in Luke 12. He says, make for yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Jesus calls it unfailing treasure. It is a can't miss proposition. Randy Alcorn says in his book, you can't take it with you, but what? Does anybody know how to finish that? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about tonight. You can send it on ahead. You know, you can get into another bubble situation in the market. I'm cautioning you against that. Don't do it. Um, it's not good to buy high and sell low. Alcorn draws a compelling analogy in his book, American Civil War. Okay. American Civil War, the North and the South. The South printed its own money, right? They were called the Confederacy. They printed their own money. Now, everybody knew about halfway through the war that the South was going to lose. So would you be saving a lot of Confederate money if you knew that the country that uh, their currency was about to, the country was about to be defeated and their currency was going to be worthless? Would you be, would you be bullish on Confederate currency? No. You'd be getting out of it. This is a perfect analogy for, for, the, uh, for the Christian. Okay? We're going to a place where your euros don't matter at all. Where your euros are worthless. Your euros are worthless in heaven. They're worthless in heaven. So what will you do with your euros today? What will you do with your euros today? Are you going to hoard up euros? They're worthless where you're going. They're worthless where you and I are going. Some of us need to stop looking at the short term. And when I say short term, of course, my term is shorter than yours. But, but when, I, when I say short term, I'm talking about the next 30 to 60 years. We've got to stop looking at the short term. And we need to start looking at the next billion eternities. This is what God is doing in the New Testament. He's trying to blow our eyes open and our hearts open, right? That we could get his perspective. That we're not tied, you know, 
to our earthly investments. But what we really love to invest in is the kingdom of God. That's what we really love to invest in. So this is about treasure. It's about your heart. Is it upon the earth or is it in heaven? Do you treasure that which is worldly or that which is heavenly? For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there will your heart be also. So I'm going to pick up here verse 22, back to Matthew 6, verse 22. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore your eye is clear. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It therefore, uh, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is a little bit obviously um, cryptic, uh, but simply it means that if, we, if we're focused on the eternal, our eye is clear. If we're focused on uh, being rich toward God, our eye is clear. We're in the light. Conversely, if you're focused on the temporal, our eye is bad. We're, we're, we're living in the darkness. That's what is being said here. And you notice there's no in-between option. There's no gray area here, right? There's no gray area, right? It's light or dark. You know, a lot of people call themselves, they like to live in the twilight. They want to live in the gray area. It's a little more comfortable in the gray area as far as the world is concerned and as far as our natural mind works and as far as the flesh works. But Jesus does not give us an in-between option. There is no playing the middle, and we're going to hear him say it in verse 24. Jesus says no one can play the middle. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? You can't do it. I don't care how clever you think you are. You can't do it. God says you can't do it. You're going to love one or you're going to love the other. You can't do it. This is the word of God. So that's the treasure issue. Secondly, the trust issue. We'll talk about for the next few minutes. Why don't you give more? Is it a trust issue? Was it a treasure issue? As we just just discussed or is it a trust issue I love this about Jesus he knows how we are he knows how we think he knows how weak we are so Jesus spends the next 10 verses dealing with the trust issue verses 25 to 34 some of us may not give as liberal at, liberally as we might otherwise would because of this issue so uh, I'm going to make you work a little bit I'm going to read a portion of five verses out of the next ten. I'm not going to read the whole text. You heard Rohan read that text. And I'm asking you the question. What is Jesus identifying as a problem for you and me as a human being? What is he identifying as a problem? So here we go. I'm just going to give you a little excerpt from these five verses. Jesus says, verse 25, do not be anxious for your life. Jesus says, which of you by being anxious can add one hour to your life? Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 31, do not be anxious about eating, drinking, or clothing. Verse 34, do not be anxious for tomorrow. What has God just said to you? Over and over and over and over again, five times. What did he just say to you? Stop being anxious. You see what I'm saying, the trust issue? Some people can't give because they don't, they don't trust God. 
I got to keep it, man. I got to keep it in my bank. Got to keep it in my pocket. Man, if I give that much, it'd be like, wow. That's how I was when I first got converted at 28. It was like, how do I give this much? You know? <laughs> That's another sermon. But um, why are you worried? Do you not trust me? My people should be open-handed because I'm God. Right? This is what, this is what the inference is. I, somebody posted on Facebook the other day, worry is worshiping the problem. Don't you love that? When all you can do is think about the problem, what are you actually doing? You're giving yourself to it, man. You're giving all your energy and your mental energy to the problem. You're worshiping the problem. That's a problem when you worship the problem. I think that's uh, helpful for me anyway. So what's the recurring theme here? Don't be anxious about your life, about your death, about your clothing, about your eating, about your drinking, and about tomorrow. Don't be anxious for these things. Why? Because our God is God. Verse 26 in the text, Matthew 6, verse 26, because he's your heavenly father, right? Verse 30, because he's God. Verse 32, because of your heavenly father. That's why we can be open-handed. That's why we can, you know, we can be like those crazy Macedonians. We can be like that widow. If we can get to the place where we know and love God that much, we can be that way. We can be like those crazy Macedonians, giving in affliction, giving in poverty, giving beyond our ability. We can be that way. We can be bullish on the kingdom you guys know the famous verse, Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet one of them, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Therefore, do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Okay, there are countless trillions of sparrows around the world. Not one falls to the ground apart from the will of God. And you don't think he's got your back? Do you see how this is a backhanded um, slander? Do you see how this is backhanded slander against God? If you can't be open-handed because you can't trust him, this is backhanded slander. That's all I'm saying, beloved. Hey, you know why I can say that? Because I was guilty a long time. I, I claimed to be a Christian for 28 years. <laughs> I was just a churchgoer, man. <laughs> of course, it all changes when you actually meet the living God. So the inference here is that fear and anxiety would be warranted if God were not God, if God were not sovereign, if God were not engaged, if God were not omnipotent, if God were not attentive. It's backhanded slander when we can't be open-handed to the degree that God calls us to be. Alcorn says in his book that he believes the biggest reason many professed Christians don't give as much as they could is because they have this illusion that earth is their home. I get that. I think that is in part true. Um, I think it's one of the huge reasons that uh, people don't give as uh, much as they could. But I don't think it's the biggest reason. I think the biggest reason is, is what we see here. It's a trust issue. 
I can't give to God because the world tells me I got to hoard it up, man. The world tells me I need this much money for that, and I need this much money for that. I was talking to a guy, a friend of mine back in the States, you know, um, he's done really, really well. I said, when, he's, he's my age. I said, when are you going to retire? He said, man, I need $2 million. I need $2 million saved up before I retire. And I'm thinking, what? I'm going, what? Who told you that? Of course, his financial guy. His financial guy wants him to send him more money. The financial guys always want you to send them more money. They make more money if you send them more money. He needs $2 million. It's crazy. Someone just told him that. He believed it. So he's working for the $2 million. Man, what could $2 million do in the kingdom? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just... You know, we got to get God's perspective here. So... I think in Matthew 6, Jesus is revealing to us we don't trust God. It's the biggest reason we don't give. We don't believe that He's sovereign. If we really believed He overruled in the falling of a single sparrow, I think we could be hilarious givers. Jesus says, stop being anxious. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. He raised the grass of the field. He holds tomorrow in his hand. Stop being anxious, you men of little faith. So, why don't you give more? Is it because you can't or because you don't want to? Is it a treasure thing or is it a trust thing? If it's a treasure thing, I exhort you to put your idol away, okay? And if it's a trust thing, I exhort you to look at God and believe Him. Trust God. He either is God to you or He's some religious icon to you. If God is not becoming more and more and more and more real to you all the time, you're doing it wrong, okay? I lovingly say you're doing it wrong. If you're studying the Bible and you're taking it in, man, you can't help but get caught up in this wave of God's greatness. If you're not increasingly committed and convinced of the greatness of, of the biblical God, you're not doing it right. You're not studying the Word. You're not thinking deeply about it. You're not sitting quietly in front of Him in prayer. You're not in awe. This is the problem. This is why most people don't give. They're not in awe. And here's, here's one thing I can say to you. Just read your Bible. If you've seen Jehovah God, you are in awe. You are in awe. Somebody asked me when I retire, when are you going to retire, Jim? I don't know. You know, I really don't think I'll ever retire. I mean, this is such a good gig. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I don't need two million. All I need is Jehovah God. Amen. Doesn't mean I, I can be foolish and presumptuous. I don't need two million. I don't need that. So whatever the reason is that you're not open handed with God, it's a lie. OK, can we just say that out loud? It's a lie. It's a really big lie. If you're not open handed with God, you've believed a lie. And I'm going to say it again. Where you're going, your euros are of no value. You can show up and stand before God with a billion euros. Guess what they're worth? Nothing. 
nothing. So I exhort you, be the FedEx guy. Be bullish on the kingdom. Go short on earthly treasures and long on heavenly treasure. Jesus makes a bold promise. It's a, a promise that only God could keep. Listen to how he finishes here. I'm, I'm going to close this way. Matthew 6, you can follow along if you're still open to Matthew 6. I'm going to read 31, 32, and 33. This is God speaking to you and me tonight, okay? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek for your heavenly Father. Oh, he knows that you need this stuff. <laughs> Some of us live like we don't think he knows we need this stuff. And here's the verse I want to close on. You guys know it, famous verse. But... God incarnate says, but seek first. Okay, there it is. <laughs> seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you, beloved. All I'm offering to you tonight is the freedom that God is offering to all of his children. You can be open-handed. You can be like those crazy Macedonians, right? You can be, <laughs> because God's God. What an amazing thing. What an amazing opportunity, right? To invest in the kingdom of God. To be all in in the kingdom of God. You young people, all I can say to you as an old man, you can't outgive God. I know you've heard this a million times. I'm telling you personally, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. It would be a life well spent, and I'm done. It would be a life well spent for you to try to outgive God. <laughs> okay? That would be a life well spent because you cannot do it. You cannot do it.